and you're very welcome to episode 110 of the Game Pit Podcast. My name is Ronan and there is no Sean with us this time around, but that doesn't mean I'm flying solo in this episode. I have got in the troops to help me and alongside me today are Puria. Hello everyone. And Eleanor. Hi. And we are going to give you 10 quick reviews of 10 quicker, lighter games in a similar style as I've done previously with Eleanor, but Puri was kind enough to give up his bank holidays to come and play these with us today, so he's also on board, but not necessarily your style of game usually, Puri. No, I quite like heavy games, so for me this was an interesting day, but uh, fun nonetheless. Learning 10 games from rule books, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more or less. Ellie, you also quite like more thinky games. I tend to go for medium to heavy games. So this is going to be sort of, uh, and, and same here I'd say, same as medium to heavy games, more of a gamer's take on lighter games. We're going to run through the 10 and then we're going to give you at the end our top threes. So if you do usually play a longer or a thinkier sort of a Euro game, maybe these are three games for when you've got half an hour to 45 minutes can help you fill in your game day. Now, as usual, we're very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Please catch all our episodes on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and on YouTube where you can get our pit stop videos. We're going to crack on with our 10 reviews. So we're going to crack onwards with these reviews, and the first game going through the mill is Bye Bye Black Sheep, designed by Torsten Lansfoyt from Jolly Thinkers. This is an animal-themed game in which all the players have got seven cards in their hands, and on your turn, you're going to blindly be picking cards from any of the other players' hands. Now, all the cards you pick go down in a row in front of you, and if you choose to stop before anything untowards happens to you, then you get to take the number of cards you've laid out, minus two, and lay them in front of you, including the cards that are already in your hand, but the number is fixed by how many cards you've drawn. You're attempting to collect sets of three of the same animal in front of you. There's up to 16 in the game, and the number of sets you have to collect is player number dependent. Now, that's all well and good, but there are special cards in players' hands, and they can disrupt the flow off around. More, most importantly, there's the black sheep. Everyone always has one black sheep card in their hand, and if you draw that, you stop. You don't get to lay any cards out into what's called your zoo, into your tableau in front of you, and you move on to the next player. There are other cards like the mole that's going to let you look at a player's entire hand, take one of those and add it to the uh, lineup. There are eagles that let you guess as to what cards in the player's hand. If you guess the correct animal, they have to give it to you, otherwise your turn's over. There's also the thieving magpie that comes into play once the game's developed a little, and that lets you steal cards from other players' zoos, maybe disrupt their sets and add to your own. A very quick animal-themed game, and very much the theme and the art is all pointed towards being attractive to children. So, Eleanor, as you are very much the junior member today, (laughs) thoughts on the look and the theme and the play of Bye Bye Black Sheep? I thought it was very pretty, as Sean would say, vibrant game. It was, of course, quite simple being aimed at younger children. I quite like the random drafting system, taking it from people. It was very funny when you took something and messed them up a little bit. A bit of tension, a bit of eye contact, a bit of... Yeah. I think it would have been more fun to play with children a little bit younger than myself and my sister, my sister being 12. Yeah, I thought that was really nice. Yeah. Um, I'm quite fond of... stylised animals made them look very cutie and big eyesy and... And the cardstock was nice, map cards really, really good. I think we mentioned this a couple of times, we're all a bit heavier gamers, so I can't really judge as a kid's game, but if anyone does like that kind of game, I'd probably point them towards Port Royale, which is probably the... Mm, Port Royale's boring. 
No. It is. It's got the same. No. The thing about it is, well, it's got a polarised, the push your luck element, right? Yeah. Whereby you're pushing it and pushing it. But here, it was quite funny. The game was quick enough yeah. that you were like, okay, my game's yeah. done, your turn, yeah. move on. And I think if you're going to take joy in the game, it is that moment when you just have someone pull that black sheep out of your hand and you just get to laugh in their face. Like, yeah. like Rachel had zero cards yeah. in her zero after the game. It's <laughs> <laughs> always amusing. Yeah. Was it too random, Ellie? Because you're very much just fishing in someone's hand, you never know what you're going to get. It was very luck-based. There was nothing strategic about trying to pull random animals out of someone's hand and figuring out where to put them in your zoo. I think if you're paying attention, so I don't think kids are going to, but you could, uh, not exactly card count, but you kind of get a feel for where the cards are you want. And there is basic probability in terms of what you're drawing out of big hands versus little hands. Because you get to see the cards in the row, the ones that they decide to scoop up into their hand, you then know, oh, okay, they've taken two tigers, I'm going after tigers, maybe that's the person to fish. But if you fish too hard, then the number of cards in their hand reduces, so then you're more likely to pull the black sheep. Now, I think it's just trying to paste the layer of strategy <laughs> on. That's definitely not in Bye Bye Black Sheep. But it is a little bit of thought there, and Eleanor mentioned her sister, Caitlin, who's 12, not really a gamer at all, well, only joining now and then. Now, she played this game with us, and she did really enjoy it. And she's asked us to keep it to play again, which is not is quite rare. So that probably suggests where this lies. It's probably even at the lighter end of all of these light games. Uh, any final verdict on it, Ellie? It was very simple and quite enjoyable to play. Yeah, I think as a kid's game, absolutely. Yeah, I think a kid's game and maybe cousins, nephews, nieces that are not as into gaming as maybe a gamer's kids would be. I don't anticipate this is going to appear in any of the top three lists. I'm getting lots of... <laughs> no, heads are being uh, shaked all over the studio, we'll, we'll call it today. Not the pillow fort. Okay. <laughs> the second game we're going to look at is Sunday Split, designed by Nate Bivins and published by Renegade Game Studios. This is an ice split you choose game themed around ice cream in which players are going to draw a number of cards, again, player number dependent. And on the cards are going to be different types of ice cream and toppings and, strangely, vegetables. And they're going to lay them out in a number of piles equal to the number of players. And there are certain rules around how big the piles can be. And some of the cards, again, player number dependent, are going to be face down. And then, starting from player on their left and going clockwise, everyone gets to choose one of the piles of cards, add them to their Sunday, no matter what the weird stuff is that they're getting, their, their tableaus, another tableau builder, they're all called Sundays. The game is just going to go once around the table with higher player counts, and then you're going to score for certain things. So every scoop of ice cream you've got, every ice cream card, is a set number of points. You score for combos of ice cream, for having three different flavours, score you a few points. For having sort of cream and sprinkles together, that will score you some points. There's having the most bananas, the cherries that you get they give you a multiplier for the ice cream which you have the most cards off if you're poor you'll have loads of strawberry but you won't get enough cherries as you'll lose for lack of cherry very upset <laughs> indeed now this while we said bye bye black sheep was on the lighter end of the games we're talking about sunday split is on the fastest end of the games we were talking about it was over almost before it began poria sunday split that's probably where i have Slight concerns with this game, because I really like that you split, you choose mechanic. But for me, it's kind of taking all the engine building stuff out. And in terms of the way you choose, you get to put some cards face down, which is a nice little wrinkle to get people to pick things you might not want to. But um, again, we've talked about it lots of times. I like heavier games. So for me, something like Card City, where you've got the engine building side of it on the back of it, is probably where I'd go for it. 
And I think that's the first and only time Card City and Sunday split will be. Uh, <laughs> Card City, ow, my head hurts. Sunday split. Oh, did this? Has it happened? Yeah. They're probably on extreme ends of the light. Yeah, you think they could get two games yeah. more different, both in the same yeah. area. Ellie, any thoughts on Sunday split? I think as a concept, it's quite nice, it's very pretty. But um, I think it's more useful for helping younger kids to learn how to create chains within games, learn how to link up their cards so they score more, and transfer that skill to more heavy games. Because we're trying to breed gamers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Part of the indoctrination. <laughs> the theme theme's a bit odd. Yeah, and to be honest, not to channel Sean, but I found that art a bit boring, actually. It's all... Yeah, channel Sean all you want. Yeah. What else were you going to be doing with it? You, you build an ice cream, what else are you going to It's the build? veggies. The vegetables. That's got like you could you get broccoli and corn and celery. <laughs> there must have been something, but a better way of doing that, like a, I don't know, a dog licking it or it falls on the floor. <laughs> exactly, because the celery is just—it's not even like trying to make anything the theme. It's just literally a card with a bit of celery. <laughs> yeah, it was odd. The other slight issue, now I said it was a really quick game, and it is. Oddly, there was a little bit of downtime as people are doing the I split, you choose bit, and you because there's so little to think about. I did find myself even drifting away, even that very low amount of downtime in the game. Yeah. Having conversations while people are splitting the cards. Yeah, because you didn't have to concentrate at all in yeah, the game, no. so your mind sort of and drifted away. And you then get one quick decision and you're back to just waiting until it's your turn to split. Yeah, so off, quite often very, very fast is a bonus to a game. At least it doesn't hang around and linger. But, Priya? I think it may be a little too streamlined for my taste. Same. Yeah, same, same. It was fluffy, airy, insubstantial. It wasn't a good, decent Sunday split I could really dig into. Okay, something that did have a little bit of teeth to it. This was Star Cartel, designed by Martin Boisel and published by Osprey Games. In Star Cartel, there's going to be an offer of goods out on the table, and you're going to be drafting cards from there, usually just from the bottom row of this four columns. And there are five different types of goods, and they come in values one to four. You have a starship which has a certain capacity and you're looking to fill up that starship and once you reach it, and that's to do with the value of the cards you've drafted, you then get to make a delivery. And the delivery gets made in the different types of good you've got and whichever good you've got the most of, you have to handle those cards in, the highest value, and the price of that will go up on a very simple price chart, just one to 10, and it'll go up two spaces. Whichever good that you've got, but you've got the least off, you also have to hand those cards in and the price will go down one on this very simple chart. Any in the middle though, you can keep one set of them, put them face down and those will be your scoring cards. Now some of the interesting wrinkles in there is that the ships that you have, they both get bigger and they start to get special powers to allow you to take from different places in the in the draft or to keep two sets or different various different things. If the price of a good ever goes over nine, it then loops back around again and heads back to one so it can crash the price. And also, what you're gonna score at the end is the final price of each of the goods times whatever cards you have off that. Now, the, the value on the cards doesn't matter anymore. It's just the quantity of cards that you need to have. It's a very simple scoring system within this framework of player-driven economy. It is player-driven. I'm just gonna put a question out there, starting with Eleanor. Player interaction within this game. That's actually something that I wrote down here. As the resources that you kept were quite secret, only you could see them, I didn't feel like I was interacting with other people without focusing and counting all their cards as they were going through. I didn't feel like I could really mess someone up. 
But that's saying it was my favourite, like, more filler-type game. Okay. I thought you could... I misjudged it. I think we all did. <laughs> that we didn't notice that Rachel had 4,012 pink cards straight in the chocolate. <laughs> but uh, we were busy fighting amongst ourselves. I did feel there was a little bit of take that. Like, I deliberately crashed... The, the red price <laughs> to put it from 70 points to 7 points which is all well and good and I, I, I actually felt that was a little bit maybe too fragile because for example say we know Puri has taken a whole load of reds and we haven't between the three of us we can push the price of red up by a possible 6 in one turn and really just send it looping around the loop and getting rid of it now you can't draft exactly what you want. The drafting is limited, but the possibility exists. I felt like you were always vying not to show your hand or not to collect too much of one colour. And then otherwise you just end up hedging yourself with trying to split yourself across all the colours and then it all becomes very close. So, yeah, all the prices become close. Yeah. You've all got three of everything, maybe. Maybe it's just because I find it hard to focus on multiple things. I was more focusing on my plan, what I was going to pick up to link with what... Um, instead of watching what other people were doing, really, and maybe that was just a bit of an oversight on my part. The game does whiz around the table. It does, yeah. Very quick. In fact, and I know Puri wants to mention it, the slowest and fiddliest bit of the game. Yeah, because I got lumbered with the job of... You know, you just did it. You just jumped in there. (laughs) So it makes it a bit fiddly having to rearrange the market again and again and again, especially because, as you mentioned, the turns are so quick. So it's basically one person is just there flipping cards all the time, which... Thankfully, the game doesn't drag out too much. I felt that it ended just about when I was getting bored because the turns are actually all the same. Even with the bigger ships, mm-hmm. you're not actually taking more actions because you're always limited to the same number of cards. So it's the same thing again and again and again. There's no progression. Um, no, the only thing you're thinking about is what's been taken. Yeah. And then, therefore, what, what the market looks like. But I'm not sure that was really interesting enough like the end. So for me... I think you're right in that it, I think it ended at the right point for me. And it is quick enough for it to me to be, oh, yeah, I quite enjoyed that. When you get up to the higher capacity ships, you have like 20 or 25 capacity ships, and the highest card you can take is four. You can only ever take two at a time. So you're spending maybe four or five turns filling the ship up. And you've probably set some idea of your plan at the beginning of that drafting where you go, right, I think I want to tank that price, and I think I want to you know, collect this particular colour. So you're then just trying to do it. And because there's a restriction in the draft, as you get later on in the game, quite often you can't get exactly what you want. I think maybe that's where some of it is, where you just go, oh, I'll just take these two, because it, it's not going to mess my plan up, but I'm not advancing my plan for this ship at the moment. But again, that might be us. Heavier gamers reading to where he's going to say it again and again and again. Ellie, any final thoughts on Star Cartel? I feel like I sound like I really didn't like it, but I actually, I did. I found it fun. I liked the way it made me think, and I thought it was a very good filler game. Yeah, actually, probably same with me. It does kind of have some downsides, but in terms of the time it plays, it's small box. It's something I'd happily play with anyone bringing it out. I feel a bit odd. It's a bit odd that we've talked a lot about the negatives, but all three of us quite like the game. Is there any reason there where you think it's, it's, it's short enough to nitpick? Yeah. Easy to nitpick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very easy to nitpick a game like that and think too much into it and delve too much as a heavier gamer. For me, it's short enough that I didn't care. It's Oh, fair enough. We'll just spend five minutes moaning about it and let's see if it's a good game. <laughs> let's see if Heroes versus Monsters will get away so uh, so easily. This is designed by Enrique Duenas Gonzalez and published by Ares Games. At the beginning of Heroes versus Monsters, each player is dealt a team card. They will be on the hero or the monster side. 
There is a shared deck of cards, and all the cards in there are hero, monster, or neutral cards. If you play with one of the different decks, there should be more decks becoming available. Each player starts with a hand of three cards. On your turn, you must either play a card onto the table, or if you have fewer than three cards, you may draw a card from that shared deck. All the cards are going to score you positive or negative points, depending upon what team you're on, and almost all cards also have a power. The power is going to allow you to either affect your own tableau in front of you or others' tableaus, or allow you to draw another card or play another card from your hand, or some way allow you to follow the very simple mechanisms of putting cards in front of you and quite often having them discarded against your will. Once the deck runs out, you're simply going to score. If you're on the monster side, you score for all the skulls you have in front of you and you lose points for all the hero icons you have and vice versa if you're on the hero team. And then everyone's been dealt a special card at the beginning of the game which tells them if they have this or that character in front of them. And they're all characters that we played with the London After Midnight deck. There's the likes of Dracula... Jacqueline Hyde, the Werewolf, Van Helsing. Uh, the other the theme deck that you get in this volume one is Sherlock Holmes, whereby obviously you have Moriarty and Holmes and the Baker Street Irregulars and what have you. So they're all recognisable characters that you're playing with. Puria, you get dealt that team card at the beginning and then you're attempting to play towards a goal, but a lot of the game is just top decking and then playing a card down. Yeah, and to be honest, uh, it feels like there's no way to hide in terms of your identity. Is that a Jacqueline Hyde joke or we move on? <laughs> <laughs> you have limited ways of getting rid of cards in front of you, so you can't really pretend to be one side and then suddenly in the middle of the game flip to be the other. So it becomes very obvious very quickly what side you're Unless on. you just keep drawing cards from the other team. Because you're stuck um, with the three, you can't discard. Yeah, And the deck has different characters, but there's multiples of each character. So you actually mm. end up playing the same thing Repetitive. Repetitive. So there's no progression, there's no engine building, so it's stuck in between being... The car- characters aren't very interesting, and the hidden role doesn't seem to work, so I'm stuck right in the middle of... Not a lot. Ellie? <laughs> I feel the same as Poria, really. I, did, I really didn't think the hidden role worked, because the first round that we played, we played two games of this, Dad could not figure out what I was, and I ended up with a negative score, because I was trying to throw him off, because I thought that the hidden role was more important <laughs> than it was. But the second game everyone knew that I was the monster because I was just piling up Dracula and the Beast and I just won the game. There was nothing that the hidden role like, had a downside for me. Yeah, people it's not knowing. like people are trying to guess what team you're on at the end yeah. or if you play this on a monster play and you declare it, there's, there's, a ne- there's no negative really to getting found out because the game's so quick. And maybe the other deck has different cards but in this one, as you're saying, if you're unlucky in terms of what you draw, there might not even be anything you could do about it. Yeah, you might get the right card at the right time. You might not. Your hand of three, the agency is really, really small. Yeah, so. very small. And we were saying if you draw a card from an offer, that might give you some more choice. But it's kind of like a default game design thing to rather than top deck, give us an offer of cards. Though I feel as though maybe I should try it with the neutral cards. Maybe that'll add a different layer because I haven't tried it with them, but I really don't think so. Yeah, we're desperately delving to find some positives in heroes versus monsters. Yeah. Puria's shaking his head here. I would say volume one can remain a solo <laughs> Any thoughts? They had a dream, and <laughs> that dream I don't think is going places, but I'm happy for them. Good. That's nice in that. Um, it's, it's not good. It's well made, but, but I it's would pretty. never choose to play it and, and would avoid it, to be honest, if it was offered. Because it's just nothing. It's, there's nothing there. Okay. Um, 
they even have better games in their own catalogue for this kind of stuff. Oh, they certainly do, yeah. There is games too. So I, I'm not sure this is going to make much of an impact, but there we go. The last game for this half is Wibble, which you can get as part of Wibble++, designed by Bears and published by Stuff by Bess. Now, it comes in the Wibble++ pack in which there's a deck of cards. All the cards have got two letters on them and a number which is used in some of the games in the system, but the number is not used in this particular game. In this particular game, to start with, you flip two cards over in the middle of the table. And simultaneously, you're trying to think of a word that contains one letter from each of the two cards at least. And the first person to call it out gets to take one of the two cards from the centre of the table, push it in front of them, another card gets flipped in the middle. Now, everyone who hasn't got a card in front of them is trying to do the same thing, find a word with a letter from each of the two cards in it. However, if you've taken a card or more, you must also integrate a letter from each of the cards in front of you into the word that you call out. Obviously making it gradually slightly trickier to go on and carry on thinking of these words. Once a player takes their fourth card, they also take the fifth card that's left in the table. That's five points to them. Everyone else flips over all the cards they've taken, one point each for all those cards. And we go on and reset We reset with two new cards. Everyone's cleared tableau in front of them. And you just play through the deck, which doesn't take long, 20 minutes maybe, if that. It is a quick word game, which actually, to me, is quite unusual. I don't know too many word games that play this quickly, where it's this interactive, where you're all calling out at once. They tend to be slightly slower and thinkier, and if you've got a great vocabulary, you're usually going to win. Whereas this one, you can win with run, rain, train, training, trains, boom, I've won. So, Ellie? <laughs> it's an interesting concept, but I found it a bit headachey. Because once you have, you need five cards in order to win. And once you have four, you're trying to link those four cards with the other two that are in the middle. And you're trying to think of it while people are just yelling. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got panicky at the I, I really did get panicky. I could <laughs> definitely see some people liking it. But I wouldn't do it again. Oh, I'm quite surprised, Priya. I actually think the fact that you have to incorporate the cards you took is an interesting catch-up mechanic. Because it mm. means... The better you are, the more you get slowed down by the game. But at the same time, as tends to be the case with these games, if you are just better, it's like watching someone watching Countdown. Right? It's a word game thing. Yeah. Right. So if you're good at it, you're good at it. And I suspect the same people will just win again and again. Mm. And yeah, you're right. You can use short words, but that just means the other person you can use short words. So yeah, I mean, what I did think is that at least everyone, and we played with a range of ages, at least everyone was scoring some points. There was no one sitting there just completely frustrated, like, oh, I can't get anything. They could have a little think to themselves, maybe set a couple of words up with their one card in front of them and one of the cards in the middle, and then as soon as you flipped over, yeah, I got that one, yeah. And everyone got a couple of points that kept everyone kind of involved. I certainly wasn't nearly as stressed as Eleanor was. Are you all right? Do you need to talk about anything? <laughs> I was definitely involved, whether being involved was a good thing or not. Oh. But, no, it's... <laughs> it's harsh. I generally like word games, and this one offended me a little bit because I had high hopes. Wow, there you go, that got cold. (laughs) It's too sharp to be offending. Yeah, I I thought it was quite unusual in that, as I said, if you like word games and you have 15, 20 minutes, uh, even 10 even, you know, it's done and it's dusted and you move on. It felt like a good filler if you like word games, but I don't like word games. 
and you can't be too strict with the rules because people are shouting out nonsense and then you you know if you're, if you're going to go look up a dictionary you'll be there for quite a long time. we did put the rule that if you called out a word that was wrong you were out for the rest of that round that's not written in the rules but it just kind of makes sense otherwise you're just there randomly screaming things at each other peacock trains stars that's not even close to each other that doesn't, that doesn't none of those no so uh, well I enjoyed it Pura no, I thought it was fine um, it's as I understand correctly part of what is supposed to be a system of games so yeah. I'm not sure the rest of the games stack up we've tried one it was okay with many of these kind of things I don't really see anyone publishing games for that kind of thing so I think if you did buy it you'd really have to buy it for that main for game. that wibble yeah, yeah so, I, I um, agree yeah I mean there's some storytelling games and stuff like that, but how much you need a deck of cards with letters on just to tell stories I, you know I'm, I'm not but I like that Bez comes at things from a different angle and I'll always have an eye on what she's doing because he was always slightly different and if you ever met her you, you probably anticipate that it was going to be slightly different and so I'm always looking forward to the next things I think Wibble's definitely the strongest in that box so if you like the sound of it that will be the selling point okay that's the end of our first half of reviews we have a very quick break You are very welcome back to part two of episode 110 of The Game Pit. And in the second half, we're going to kick things off with a cooperative IP game from a movie from a year or two ago. It's Valerian, The Alpha Missions, designed by Ryan Miller and published by Ultra Pro. As I say, this is a cooperative game set around the film Valerian. And the game is played on a board, which is a grid, which is preceded with some face-down tiles, which represent level 2 and level 3 areas of the space station. On a player's turn, they're going to roll three dice, and they get to take actions, utilising one die each time we take an action. You can move. Now, you start all in an airlock, and you may have face-down tiles around your empty spaces. If you move into an empty space, then you take a tile from the stack, flip it over and you enter it. If you go onto one of the level two or three spaces, because every time you get a new tile out, it's a level one. Level two or three, same exact thing, you just flip it over. You can never move through a space that hasn't been explored yet. When you go into that, there may be enemies. Now there's an enemy deck, and depending upon the level of the room you've moved into, you flip over a certain number of cards, and only enemies of the level equal to the room you're in, or lower, are then gonna be tracking you, which is called, and they're gonna attack you at the beginning of your next turn. And that's how players are gonna lose the game, because every time you have enemies still tracking you at the beginning of your turn, the tracking counter goes up. If that ever hits 20, you've lost. What you're trying to do to prevent that happening is you're trying to complete missions and they need to complete in a certain level areas and some of them in fact in specific tiles of certain level areas and they'll give you points for doing so or bonus points for the specific places and doing a mission is as simple as being in an area of that level with no enemies tracking you and using a die and you've done it you hand it in you get a new mission. Other things you can get when you flip over are energy cubes appear on a new tile. And for, again, using a die, you can pick up energy cubes and they will power gear cards. Everyone is given two gear or equipment cards at the beginning of the game and they're going to allow you to move further or help you with missions or maybe help you attack. Now, why would you need help with attacking? Because in order to get rid of enemies which are tracking you, you have to spend dice equal to the strength level of the enemies that are tracking you. And not only can you deal with your own enemies, but if you get yourself in a straight line 
online or fully reveal tiles to one of your fellow players. And they have enemies, you can spend your dice to attack them. You might be able to get a sniper rifle, for example, Ellie, and ping all the enemies on the map like pinpoint a bad butt. Pinpoint energy ray, why not? Okay, at the end of your turn, you flip over a card from a Nemesis deck. Now, there's a set number of beacon tracker tokens. And if there are any of those left in the pool, when you flip over a card from the Nemesis deck, then that token is just going to get put on the board. If ever you end a movement on one of those tokens, it gets taken back off the wall back into the pool. However, if you have to flip over a card from the Nemesis deck at the end of your turn and there are none in the pool, that Nemesis will attach themselves to you. Now, the Nemesis, as you might expect, are higher level, higher strength, will cause you problems, prevent them from moving, all sorts of issues coming with them, so you're trying to avoid that at all costs. So it is either get tracked to death, run out of the alien decks, you've run out of time, or fulfill enough missions to score enough points to win the game of Valerian the Alpha Missions. Now, all three of us have had the pleasure... (laughs) (laughs) The pleasure? Pleasure. (laughs) Of seeing the movie this is based on. Shall we get the movie comments out of the way before we move on to talk about the game? It's okay. We all make mistakes. (laughs) Yeah, watching that film was one of them. (laughs) It's so disappointing. The Fifth Element is one of my favourite movies, and I had such high hopes. Rihanna was amazing in it, though. She was was literally the only thing worth watching in that movie. You're both fangirling Rihanna all day today, (laughs) talking about the movie. (laughs) It looked spectacular. It had so many ideas in there, it just did not pull together in any sort of a current structure, and the casting of the main character was... Something to do with the exhausted look in his eyes. He looks so tired. That poor boy just needs to sleep. It was a real shame because I think with the right co-star, she could have worked. Yeah, yeah. Cara Delevingne, actual queen. More, more fangirling of Cara Delevingne. (laughs) That's just all around over here. Okay. However, let's pretend that the film did work (laughs) and that this is based on a, a successful IP, which would very much change the reception I think the game got. Did it capture what the film was attempting to capture I think it kind of depends where you're coming from because if I was in a mass market store and I picked this up not knowing of the wider hobby yeah I would probably feel the tie-in was there because I would see the pictures the movie art everything else I don't think I'd have the expectations that have been set by some of the more hobby games that have done this really well so I think I'd be fine but coming from the hobby aspect the tie-ins are really not there at all, to be honest. You really? Think. You think not at all? No. Oh. Well, there's no... There's artwork. But beyond that, there's no player... Pa- the, the monsters have a bit of text that relates to what they did in the movie. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, you could probably redo that with any other movie within yeah. minutes. But that means it's no. the sense of exploration, the sense of opening that door and not knowing exactly where you are, not well, knowing what's going to hit you, having to save each other. That is well, a very boring thing. A dozen yeah. other horror films you could do the same thing with, right? I'm not saying you could, I mean, this is... This is... Uh, for a mass market, you have to give it. I know you mentioned that you have to give it a little bit of leeway, but I felt that at least they were trying to capture some of that essence of the film. You know, I didn't. You're right. It wasn't FFG. It wasn't heavy. It wasn't story. It wasn't lots of cards with flavour on. But what the film was trying to get that discovery and that exploration, they helping yeah. each other out. I felt there was a bit of that there. All right, a lot of the times for paper just say hallway. 
that's a bit disappointing with a picture of a hallway. <laughs> but some of them were quite interesting. Yeah, I feel like it was interesting. I feel like the tracking beacon system was very good because it kept you moving around. It kept giving you aims. Otherwise, you would have sort of been listlessly drifting to the different level rooms to complete actions, not really doing anything, not feeling a sense of purpose. I actually think the game did a really good job in terms of keeping the pressure up mm. because you, as you're saying, you had both the problem of having to deal with your monsters and helping your comrades with but you pretty much had to go for a beacon as well. Yeah. So that made some really good, tough choices where you went, right, do I do this mission now to get us close to points? Do I help this player with the monster, or do I do the beacon to buy some time? It's, it's got the teeter point as well. You're never completely safe until quite far in now. I do think a lot of tension is actually front-loaded because the map is not opened up at the beginning and if you get tracking beacons all over the place it's not possible to get to them all so then you know you're going to get some nemesis and once you start getting one or two nemesis i've played it a couple times more than these guys sorry so once you get one or two nemesis out it comes it becomes a lot harder because they're very hard to get rid of and when you can't get rid of them more of them come out because there's no tracking beacons again so there is a bit of that whereby if the game gets on top of you it can start to really steamroll. But once you get into the game a bit, you've usually got enough energy cubes to power up your, your gear. You have opened up more of the map. So where the tracker beacons go, you're not having to make three jumps to exploring and flipping over tiles. You have to stop every time you go into tiles and explored. It's more open for movement. You're more geared up. And, and then if you haven't been tracked a lot by that point, some of the tension can ebb out. Were the other games that you've played longer than the one that we played today? Well, I was less successful, yeah. Okay. We played very well. Like, we yeah, we played, yeah. we were so efficient. We got our missions done. Everyone got a tracking beacon. And it didn't take that long. And I feel like it could have gone on for longer. Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I was the only person who used a gear tile in the entire game. Yeah. With your, what was it called? My pinpoint energy blaster. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also player number dependent because when I played with two, it was way harder than playing with four. Because although you have more tracking beacons in the pool I don't think it quite evens out because uh, as we did today two of you sort of took the northwest corner two of us took the southeast corner mm -hmm. and between us I'll, I'll open that up then you can get to the beacon when you're playing with two because it's so wide apart that that's a lot harder so I think actually one of the, my main criticisms and I know this is all in the context of what we said around being mass market but there's a few things that I felt they could have at least addressed which a game gamer's game would have so dice mitigation there's okay. nothing. Mm -hmm. yeah. If I roll three ones, that's terrible. Yeah. Lower is worse, and there's nothing I can do about that. I know, again, that another audience might not the gear. care. Slightly gear mitigates, but you, then you don't get to choose your yeah. gear. Again, that's random, so yeah. I had two guns, which did the same thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't very fun. And there's no player powers. It's not like I get to be a unique character. We both got to choose. Is it between... the Optimus Prime <laughs> problem? <laughs> I got to choose between a crap character and a nice character. So I think three of us chose the same character. Yeah. I went with the rubbish character because I like to be difficult. Hey, everybody has to be rubbish sometimes, man. <laughs> um, so I think just a few little things like that could have actually made that a quite enjoyable game, right? So you, you maybe got to choose a character with a bit of a power. You yeah. could have had something in terms of choosing weapons that go with that character if you didn't want to have the random. And all that with the system, I think, could have made it interesting. As it stands, I think it's probably, well, in short, there are better co-ops, I think. I feel like we could have actually had character cards that came with specific statistics and specific abilities and they could have widened the range of characters available to us which would have given it more of a depth than it already had. 
think this is part of judgment for Ultra Pro or whoever it was that's behind the game of how mass market do we want to make this, how big a hit is the movie going to be. If this was a massive hit, I'm going to put it to you, and this came out and it was huge, and we went, oh, look, it's getting a load of non-gamers into some gamerly concepts, playing a co-op that works, that has tension, that you are getting pulled in different ways. The fact that it hasn't been a hit almost, I think, makes us want to go, well, at least make a decent game out of it. <laughs> but I'll also put it to you guys that you want there to be more because it's quite good. Yes, and I don't disagree to the extent that... Yeah, we haven't dismissed it and yeah, gone, oh no, it's just exactly. terrible. It's... And I didn't have a terrible time. I think there are lots of games... And you hate co-ops. I do hate co-ops. <laughs> and to be fair, the only co-ops I liked were Pandemic Season 1 and uh, the base Pandemic nowadays. I, I don't mind playing alone with a couple of people. But this did enough to say, no, oh, that was fine. And if someone pulled it out, and especially... I would new... definitely play yeah. it again. Um, yeah. I could see us at a newbie day if, if someone came to one of our clubs and said, oh, I've got this game. Do you mind playing? I'd go, sure, I'll join you. I'll play yeah, it. yeah, I'll I'd definitely play it again. Well, have you seen Valerian? Look, let's play this game. <laughs> no, not, don't ask if they've seen Valerian. <laughs> we might scratch out and put a different name on it. <laughs> I'm going to throw Gloomhaven at you, by the way, for a carp that you like. True. <laughs> you better do, because we're playing it together. <laughs> okay, well, Valerian definitely got the longest review, so at least we had some things to say about it, mostly positive. We'll move on to Game 7, and that is Minute Realms, designed by Stefano Castelli from DV Giochi. Minute Realms is themed around your building some kind of medieval kingdom, right? Or, or at least some buildings within a medieval kingdom. On each round out of eight, each player gets dealt one card in front of them, which represents a building, and there are two other cards put in the centre. On a player's turn, they have a choice to build the building that is in front of them by paying a certain amount of gold. It then goes into their tableau, or they can choose to flip that building over and just make it part of their defence. Now, why might they need defence? Because the third option open to you is to swap the card you've been dealt with any other face-up card that's still left around the table and build that card instead. However... Most cards have got certain icons on there that when you swap for them, they trigger. They'll either cost you more money, give you more money, or some of them will trigger an invasion counter to be added to the upcoming invasion, which happens at the end of rounds four and rounds eight. And you have to have enough shields to be able to defend yourself from there, or you're going to lose a building. And at the end of the game, if you can fend off the second wave of invasion, you're going to score points equal to the strength of the invasion itself. Now, the buildings come in different categories, and there's lots of different scoring where you might score per different type you've built for having lots of the same for having gold for not having gold there's all sorts of ways in which these buildings are going to score and combo off each other and to be honest if you're into the hobby it's pretty standard light euro scoring in terms of these the ones that are more expensive have got more potential to score points but i'm going to say a very nice production uh, and very well presented does it do anything new or different or exciting eleanor minute realms I don't know about new or different or exciting. I agree that it was pretty, it was nicely produced, it had very nice coins, as we had a long dis- discussion about. Poria really um, liked the coins. <laughs> no, you well, really like those coins. No, I just <laughs> they're, so they're plastic, but they're really thick. They're what, maybe five, six millimetres thick? Oh, yeah. It's got whipped out, it's <laughs> coin measurement. Better than the four millimetre ones. Oh. So I think they're actually, you're not going to have plas- uh, metal coins, which are going to be expensive. I thought this was a really nice compromise. Oh, I love yeah. them. Yeah, they were special. Oh. Peru's realised he was going to punch coins. me on radio. 
that might constitute evidence. Okay. <laughs> so we, we liked the coins, Eleanor. Anything else about the game? Um, I didn't really feel like my turns were linking together, to be completely honest. I felt like I was pulling cards as they came, looking to see what might get me better scores at the end game. I did have one card that benefited me in the end game as to how many different, I think they were called themes of building that I had. I wasn't really interacting with other players other than to give them my money or to swap my card with theirs or to go, oh, they've taken that card. I may as well take that one. And a lot of the cards did relatively the same thing. There's just two people nodding as you speak. Keep talking for us. <laughs> I'm okay. I don't think we've got anything too much to add. I, I've put watching each other a question mark here as a sort of, did you really care what anyone else was doing? Not or particularly. Uh, and if you think about it, yes, you deal one card in front of everyone. But actually, it just felt like it was a market of six cards. Yeah. It was pretty yeah. much the same. And I really liked the drafting mechanic to say, if you draft another card, you've got that market got thing to, to do. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of everything else, it was just so loose that, as you were saying, it's really hard to be certain you can take a strategic decision. So everything just became really tactical. Also, with the invasions, it may have just been the way that they came out because they're all randomly picked with different numbers from zero to two being the damage that they deal to your kingdom. Once I had one defence in place, I was fine for the rest of the game. We got three attack, and two of them were zeros and one was a two. It didn't really make any difference to the way the game was played. Yeah, it didn't, you're right. And that might be... I mean, no one was deliberately driving or avoiding the invasion, I didn't think. It didn't really drive what card I took anyway. I was just, which just card happening. might work better? Like, I got Cathedral early, and Cathedral scored points, more points for the more of the six categories of buildings you had. And I got all six without even chasing them. Usually you do that, you get to like round five or six, right? And you go, okay, which ones am I missing? In this case, I got to round six and went, oh, I've got all six. That just happened. And there was a lot like that where almost it had been smoothed too much. Everything had been too mitigated. And the scores showed that, I think, in terms of how close they were. 19, 20, 20, 21, yeah. was that it? Yeah. And people kind of, some people had lots of money, but had lots of money, Rachel had no money deliberately, and, and people had gone down different routes. Everyone didn't do exactly the same thing, but they did. It was just quite flat, the game, really. There was nothing really to to do. It was, it was gentle. Bland. It, yeah, gentle. Gent- it was fine. <laughs> to be honest, I think the lack of enthusiasm was really... Nothing wrong, no, nothing particularly right. It was, it was yeah. a perfectly fine game. Yeah, which I think isn't really good enough these days no not no. really I was thinking 15 years ago it might have made a splash now nothing really new okay hey great coins <laughs> five or six mil people in case number one on Puria's list because of the coins <laughs> okay now this is not something new but we'll see if it is something good it's Hero Realms designed by Robert Doherty and Darlin Castle from White Wizard Games it is the successor to Star Realms in which it's a deck builder and you're going to be playing cards out of your deck to generate attack, to attack each other. In the format we played today, it was you always attack the player on your left, we played four player. We've all played a different format of Star Realms where we've played one-on-one or what have you. But So we can talk about different ways of playing the game. It's very similar to Star Realms. As well as generating attack, you can generate health to heal yourself, or you can generate gold to purchase cards from a market. There's always five available. The 
cards come in different categories and there's lots of ally bonuses and cards whereby if you've got certain cards in play for example if i've played one yellow star imperial card and i play another one it might have an ally bonus for the fact i've played one some of the cards are champions champions for linger from turn to turn same way as bases did in star realms and some of those will be guards which mean that if anyone's trying to damage you they must damage your guards first before they can start damaging either your other champions or yourself once you have no guards it's down to them which of the two they wish to attack so we have talked about Star Realms before on the podcast. Something we did a bit different today, and for the first time for all of us, we played with the new-ish character decks, whereby rather than just starting with the same generic, everyone has some gold and some rubies and some daggers, everyone starts with their own character with a different amount of hit points, a different starting deck, different one-off powers you can use, and different constant powers you can use for a cost of gold, and that mixed things up a bit. No, I really like that, actually, because uh, I don't know about you, but I tend to find myself trying the same strategies when I do the game. Yeah. So this kind of just said, right, here's a character. It plays slightly differently. Try and see what you can do with that. And really, really nice way just to mix up the way you play. And it also just made sure we all played slightly differently because we all had a different starting deck. So I wouldn't do it all the time, but I think it was a really nice way to no, mix it up. I know that Puria was a thief and Rachel was a wizard and I was a cleric, but Ellie, were you a punch bag? <laughs> I hated this game. It's the worst game I've ever played. <laughs> I managed to find myself sitting to the left of Rachel, who absolutely tanked me. She did me 11 damage twice in a row before dealing me 23 damage. <laughs> I, I was the first to be knocked out, despite being the player with the most HP to start with. I was knocked out when Dad had more HP than he started with. Which I think is legal, but anyway. <laughs> No, I actually really liked it. I like Last Man Standing games. I think they're quite interesting. The way the pool narrows down and you ended up you end up battling it out. I liked how different cards had different alliances and the fact that they worked together to create chains, although I didn't like it when Rachel did it. <laughs> but no I ended one up, liked that. <laughs> I ended up scoring a few decent hits onto Puria, who was sitting to my left, and yeah, I did like Hero Runs. So we played it in that format, whereby you only hit to your left. There are other formats that you can play team, yeah. or you can play free-for-all where you can attack wherever you want, but that that feels even meaner, <laughs> because the minute like three people hit on you, you're like, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing best, I'm not doing best. What To, to kind of link those two things in there, I was not that convinced by the character sets. I was like, oh yeah, it's a bit of fluff. It turned out, to me anyway, that I felt that Rachel became a glass cannon, she did masses of damage, but I was able to take her out because I was to her right. I ended up healing myself a lot and getting my HP up, although I should learn it more. Lots of guards out constantly, so you couldn't actually get to the cleric. Poria was the thief. and I mean, you start with a slightly different deck, but you end up with tons of money, which that was quite an interesting arc, actually, because I ended up Poria against I, and I got him down right to, I think, six hit points left at some one point. Yeah, like that. Yeah, very fine. low, because he'd gone high money early. But then he slowed because his deck came in because he had more gold in there. And the arc changed and, and suddenly you were battering me and, and the fulcrum had pivoted or it pivoted around the fulcrum. Well, there was a fulcrum pivoting around a seesaw. <laughs> something definitely happened. There was definitely a fulcrum and something happened. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I really benefited from the milder caress that I got from my... <laughs> <laughs> oh, caress. I did you a decent amount of damage. A ranger or a community nurse. Which of the two were you? <laughs> okay. Do you need anything? A cup of tea? Um, but you're bleeding out, miss. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> For me, it was actually surprising because they're basically the same game, but I also just found this 
better. I don't know why. Yeah, I found it more I enjoyable. I like this well. theme. I really like fantasy themes. I like this theme. I do really enjoy science fiction themes as well, but I preferred this. And I think it makes more sense to me to have, like, the champions, mm -hmm. to have mm -hmm. some bodyguards is just a lot more logical than here's a star base you have to get through. I know that also kind of makes sense, but this just felt nice. felt a bit more impersonal. I usually don't like generic fantasy themes, but I did like this. And I, I think also the, the benefit of the two or three years where they had of Star Realms in the card design. There's a lot fewer just generic cards. In fact, when you get a generic card that's like, he's a thief, two damage, one gold, that feels a bit disappointing because a lot of the champions, a lot of the actions, they feel more powerful. Also, I think it's not as easy to get stuck in Star Realms. You could play defensively and really eke things out. But here, players tend to really accelerate and get lots and lots of damage out. I think they've got that balance within the deck right as well that you're going to get to an end in this game. So uh, it was all positive for me. Also thoughts that there are there are two other ways to play the game we haven't tried. And this is just going to be pure speculation. But we've got the boss mode, whereby one player becomes a boss. We've only got the Lich at the moment. We could try that, where really everyone could pick on one player. And then the other mode is complete, totally co-op. And I'm interested to try both those modes to see how they work out. Probably, probably doesn't want to play co-op, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's really weird because I used to hate them, but it was first with Legendary Encounters. I kind of got oh, a little yeah. bit intrigued. It was a theme. It kind of worked. I really like this. We so. played that the other day, right? Legendary Encounters, the alien one. Yeah. You liked um, it? I did, actually. I won't admit it publicly. Oh, right. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, it's really growing on me. And I think this uh, would definitely be something... I would look to pick. I don't know what the situation is now after the Kickstarter because I, I think I might be a little worried that I wouldn't get everything if that's the case. But I'm not sure. I don't know what was Kickstarter exclusive. They're going to be at UKGE. This is coming out after UKGE, but um, we've said it on episode 100, which I don't even hear that time. But they're running a competition at UKGE. This is just basically for you because it's going to be gone. But they're definitely pushing it. So I imagine they are starting to make things more available. And uh, this came over in May. So I think there's a push this summer to really get Hero Realms out there again. I think they've, they've got real belief in the system following that big Kickstarter. Yeah. And from my perspective, if you um, have any interest in this kind of game, this is definitely one to check out, especially because it's a small game, so it doesn't take a lot of storage. And... We used to take just Star Realms when we were going out places or be in Rachel's handbag. And we probably played that a couple of dozen times against each other and enjoyed it. And, it was great. and this one, like I say, step up. So really positive. Eleanor, final thoughts on Hero Realms? Really liked it, yeah. So if someone goes, oh, we've got half an hour to play a game, or if Dad was to say it tomorrow, I would just go, yeah, let's try the Lich mode and hear Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want, I want to try them all. It'll be yeah. good. Okay. Given how terrible we are at Netrunner, uh, this might be really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Corey and I have invested between us several hundred pounds in Netrunner, probably played it ten times against each other and still don't know the rules. <laughs> A bit of a disaster. <laughs> bit of a promotional disaster. Oh okay. gosh. What's <laughs> <No>. up, ghost? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 Eddie, how do you say the name of this game? Uh, Wanu. Wanu from Todd Sanders and Luda Creations. It's an Egyptian themed card game in which each player is attempted to build up their own tableau of citizens. To do this, you have a hand of four cards and you're going to play one or two cards down. Then you must swap cards from your hand with, again, a market and offer and bring those in. And those will be the cards available to you to play next time. And also you're making cards available to the next players to be able to draft from that market. Now, there are nine different types of cards ranging from the Pharaoh. There's one of them. If you play that card, it's worth nine points. But you only get a set bonus of one because 
for example, the farmers, there's nine of them, they're the most numerous, they're only worth one point each, but whoever's played the most of them at the end of the game is going to score nine bonus points. Now that's very basic, but every different type of card has got its own power. For example, farmers reduce the cost of bread, where bread comes from bakers, when they bake it, it adds VP, and the poorer, the more numerous the type of card you put the bread on, the more extra bonus points that will score, so farmers most again up to fairer for least for this one. There are soldiers in the game, they can steal farmers from other players or at least bribe them. There are merchants that can get you gold. Also, there are nobles that can get you more gold, but there's fewer of them. And these are all generated by 3d4, which are rolled at the beginning of each turn. And players will reduce numbers on them or add numbers to them or re-roll them if you're the pharaoh. And they affect a lot to do with the economy of the debons within the game. There are artisans that will allow you to retain cards from turn to turn. Priests that let you draw end-game scoring VPs. Scribes that let you hide cards to add to that bonus scoring. And like I say with the pharaoh, you can change a die result before you start using them. You can re-roll it. It is a game which has got a very unique card rotation system within there in that you see what you have, you know you can only play a very small percentage of it and you actually usually have to give away more than you can keep but then you get to see what's available for you to play on the next turn. So you're always attempting to sort of plan ahead and have some sort of an idea and keeping an eye on who's got the majorities in what. There's quite a bit going on in what's not a very long game. I quite like Tawanu, but I feel as though it's one of those games where you could have slapped any theme on it and it would have been exactly the same. Having said that, I did like the ancient Egyptian theme, and although it might have been because I was becoming a bit rule dead at that time, I did have to keep the rule book next to me to figure out what all the cards meant. The markings were a bit ambiguous. I don't know if they were ambiguous rather than, I'm going to say, arcane. They don't make any sense until they make sense. And there's nine different actions and you don't see all the different cards in, in just one game, especially with four players. It went very, very quickly. So you, it definitely takes that one or two games to get your head around just what the cards do, never mind then the system of rotation and set collecting and all the other things. However, I did then play it two player with Puria a couple of minutes ago and I found that I hadn't grasped it anymore. <laughs> and I was sitting there just still with the rule book and it didn't help that... Although they had implemented sort of adaptation for the rules for two players, it wasn't as good as the four player. And I've, you've been saying the four player isn't as good as the three player, so... Yeah, I definitely think two player doesn't really work. Because okay. one of the things we found interesting was the aspect about keeping cards in your hand, yes. which ones you discard. They, they tried to implement a two player variant to make that work, which doesn't really... The number of cards you see in terms of the market didn't really feel right. I know okay. with four it felt too short, but two definitely... Is yeah, so this is this will stem the conversation we had. that I played it three-player. I played it before it came out, actually, because, you know, I'm pretty special. <laughs> you are special. <laughs> yeah, very special. Uh, and three-player compared to four-player. Four-player felt very quick, because you only got four or maximum five turns each, we found in a couple of our games. Therefore, the fact that you could set up round ahead sometimes ran out and it was more about smashing cards out quickly rather than oh i don't know about putting these farmers out i need to protect them with some bread or a soldier or what have you and and some of that interaction felt last words with three it was slightly more there even with one or two more turns so that's why that kind of player discussion but in terms of the four player game no i, I actually really thought it worked very well and one of the things i actually liked was the fact that because you've got the pyramids or the d4s you roll the actions you have for the cards the value of them kind of changes because in certain points you'll go, oh, a baker right now is really good because the market's cheap or now I could make lots of money with my merchants. And 
uh, that kind of adds something to the card drafting in terms of not just valuing cards in their own right. It's not just a case that this card is always the best. It's very uh, situational, and I really like that, especially because in terms of turn order, it kind of changes as you use the cards the value of the die goes down, so things become less and less valuable. So it was a really, really nice touch. There was, there, there was situations there where if I was short of money, I'd keep two merchants because you can play two of the same card on the same turn and merchants give you money, but you want a high die roll to have happened. Same with the nobles when you get money. When you're baking, you want low die rolls and etc. So I'd keep two merchants and it'd be a low die roll. Then I got the situation where I'm not, I don't want to play the merchants yet, but I'm going to have to give at least one back to the market. If I play the other two cards, say I've got two soldiers and I play them both, I have to give up both my merchants. So then what's in the market affects it. Because if there's one merchant there, I can give away one merchant, get another merchant back and still have my two merchants for next time. And it, was, it wasn't hard. It wasn't that I was like, oh no, what should I do, what should I do? It was enough to tick along where I am a bit of planning ahead and a little bit of control but still feel like the game's messing with me a bit. Which means every time you have your hand of cards, you've got an interesting decision. Is the market right? Do I like what's coming up next? I don't disagree that theme isn't really... But it works. It definitely mm-hmm. works. Like everything card... You know, the pharaoh does what it does and, and the farmers do what they do. It, it all fits together. The powers are interesting. Yeah, really liked it. There was another mechanism that was quite theme-specific that could have been transferred given that if you had a priest, you would pick up something called an afterlife card which would give you something in endgame scoring. I didn't feel as though that made much of a difference to me specifically because I didn't have any of them. If When Rachel got them, it, they didn't really earn her much more points than she had without them. But maybe that's just a case of we we only played it once yeah. or twice. I know you've played it a little more, but I actually got and one still of still came last both games. <laughs> <laughs> it was special. I, I, very special. <laughs> they did uh, end up being quite a lot of points, at least from for the one I picked up. So maybe I think that might just be a question of playing it a few more times. There's nothing there where I went, that's broken. It all fits mm-hmm. really nicely. It's a really nice package. The artwork's... It's kind of got that... It's there? Yeah, it's got that... I like it. Do I you? like the minimalistic... Black box, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, and uh, have you seen Villages on Kickstarter? Yeah. Yeah, Hacker's Game. A bit like that as well. It's got that start background, everything's quite graphical. Yeah. It's not tried to be illustrated. That, you know, I like clean lines I say this a lot everything's be very like clear <laughs> you're the same <laughs> Eleanor you got those jeans we were telling Puria off and messing up cards earlier <laughs> but the iconography is not intuitive like as a gamer you pick up games you're like before you even see the rule book you're like right I, I suspect that does this yeah yeah, not in this game like. but I, I kind of quite like that because the cards aren't that obvious whereas not to rag it too much but you go back to Minute Realms everything was obvious everything it did it was a game I kind of say this a bit a game I could almost have designed myself, right? I designed that rubbish drafting game, Fortress. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of that a bit, which worked, but was completely obvious. So it, it, for Wanu, nothing was obvious in there. And that's one of the reasons why I liked it, because it offers me something different, both in structure, both in powers, in scoring. There's, yeah, there's plenty going on, but you can't do it all at once. So yeah, I, I'm definitely positive on it. Yeah, it was a positive game. I wouldn't say no to another game of it, same as I wouldn't bring it out again. But yeah, one. Okay. I know I really liked it. And I know it comes in two versions. So you can get the slightly larger box and you can get a little travel deck. Hmm. So I think that's a nice way of saying, right, here's my lunch version uh, and here's the kind of game I keep at home. So yeah. I think whatever that deluxe version, whatever it's supposed to be, was cheap enough that I just got. Yeah, and it's not very deluxe. No. It's not very big. But yeah, not you expensive. can get the tiny one as well. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, I really think it's a good game in a small package. So there you go. The last game we're going to go to, talking about big games and small packages, 
tried, I think, to get something the feeling of an 18xx into a 45-minute, mostly card game. It's North American Railways, designed by Pierre Sylvester, published by Spielvox. In North American Railways, there are up to five railway companies that can come into play. On a turn, the first phase everyone's going to go through is buying shares. Now, if a company's not in play, then you can pay $1,000 to get one of the up to six shares which are available in the game. There's two that are out, so there's going to be four, five, or six of every company. To start off the company, you become the director. You take one share. The $1,000 you paid goes into the company's funds, and it's available for the company to expand its network. The other thing you can do, once there are companies in play, is offer to buy the share of a company already in play, the director then gets to decide whether they want to buy that share first, but you set the price on your turn. So if I say I want to buy a green share for $600, Puri is the director of green, he will then decide whether he wants to pay $600 first to take it. If he does, I get half the money, the company gets half the money. If he doesn't, I pay whatever price I set. Half goes to the bank, half again goes into the company coffers. Once everyone's gone through that share buying phase and you're all going to get to definitely buy a share during there and there's only four available at any point because they're set out in four columns and, and it's only the bottom ones you can buy. Very similarly, you then get to use the company money to expand the company network. Now, again, there are four columns, this time of city cards. And when you purchase city cards, you spend the company money and they're going to give you income that's going to be divvied out each turn in the income phase or shields which are end game scoring, if you like, and tell you how much each share is going to be worth at the very end, because whoever has the most money after a final payout for those shields is going to be the winner. In terms of income, every round you add up all the money that a company makes and you divide it amongst the shares. And people yes, say, I don't know, I had three shares, I had two, I probably had one, and the company made $1,200. Ellen's getting 600, I'm getting 400, Puria's getting 200. As long as that divides up equally, and then there's other rules outside of that. As I said, at the end, once the shares run out or the cities run out or the all companies run out of money, you then look at these shields on the city cards. It doesn't matter where the cities are geographically and you're not actually building a network. You're just adding them to a stack for each company. And those shields will make each share worth $100 for each of them. And that can be quite big scoring towards the end. Most money is the winner. North American Railways sounds quite dry. Puria. It is, as far as I can tell, the core elements of an 18xx strip right back in a very good way i think i'm not an 18xx player and this is about as much 18xx as i want <laughs> so for that it does it really well it brought back just enough in terms of having the limitation of buying shares that you've got some really interesting choices to go right so i personally had a monopoly in one company because i was right red isn't going to be available again till the end of the game i'll grab the early red shares and then uh, no one will be able to buy in. So that really differs a little bit from a normal 18xx, if I understand correctly. Um, so brought I in... literally wouldn't have a clue. I played one a long time ago and had a miserable time. <laughs> which, which is a good sign. That we was all... game group dependent. At least um, I've never... I played one. I think I played the Odyssey one, which was the, the one uh, with Poseidon. The... Poseidon, yes. Um, which was supposed to be a stripped down 18xx. So this is a clearly con. <laughs> it stripped more down. <laughs> Keep stripping. Once you're naked 18xx, you might get into Courier's <laughs> game collection. <laughs> Eleanor, a game about expanding railways in North America. I really, really liked it. <laughs> um, I love the share system, being able to buy into different companies, directors being able to tell you no, paying their own money, giving other people money, making sure money was always tight. And 
what every decision you made had an impact. You always had to calculate, what if I'm going to be spending this much money to get into this company, I'm going to make it back over this amount of rounds, but then potentially they'll buy more cards, potentially going to profit quicker. I really did like it. I think we were the perfect group for it. Very limited 18xx experience, mm. terrible at these sort of share financial games. So we we're all playing at an equal level of incompetence. So there was no <laughs> one going, oh, that's such a noob move, or oh, obviously you've wasted, you've overpaid by $200. It was all like, well, I don't know, I don't know, what do you think? I don't know. It did feel like the kind of game that the four of us yeah, just throw money in the air, like, for the best. And it's really hilarious <coughs> when you get to like buy stuff off people because they don't have money. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rachel that's, at one point. Yeah. So if you're just explaining the mechanism, if the director cannot match the price that you've put up the share for, you just get to get it for wherever you've said the price is. Now, Rachel made the mistake <laughs> of running completely out of money while she's director of the green company, meaning you can say, I'll buy that for $100. And there was nothing she could do about it. And you grabbed that. And what was a nice balance to it was that, but that meant only $100 was going into the company's coffers, which weakened the company because it didn't have the capital to then expand very well into cities. So if you did it towards the end of the game, great, but you're getting less of a benefit for it because you want the shares early to boost your income, etc. I also bought Rachel's purple company off her when she went bankrupt, and she was very upset with me for the rest of the game, which I think was payback for what she did to me in Hero Realms, but, you know. <laughs> and I ended up being director of two companies with about four out of six of the available shares in each, and finishing in a comfortable second to Puria. You're just rubbing who, that into me, aren't you? Another <laughs> game I was terrible at today. <laughs> who monopolised the Reds. And it was, I really did enjoy it, and I don't know if it's just me but i really like paper money it's very satisfying to me to actually have the cash no paper cut not happy <laughs> no one knows how you did that no one knows baby soft hands i've never seen a day of work <laughs> going back to your earlier comment i wonder if actual 18xx's are going to enjoy the game because as you were saying it's actually maybe just fun because we were all incompetent oh yeah i think so yeah yeah, yeah. so i really wonder if this would be a game that they would I, I, I mean, a lot. I mean, in ATX, again, my very limited experience, there was stuff like uh, making shell companies and then deliberately tanking companies to get money into. And once you're used to that complexity of system whereby you need a spreadsheet to do your income each round, I think this is going to be like the you know the, the baby pool. And I really do think we're a bunch of idiots sitting around just not able to work out what is a relatively simple system. I like paper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but thank you very much for pitching it at that level because that's the level we could enjoy it at. Yeah. And it also made it quick because I think if you did maybe have... We were just idiots enough to, to play quickly. Because <laughs> if, you, if you knew too much or if you were doing too much maths, I could see it slowing down. Part of the speed also came from the restriction that there was only four shares or four cities on offer. It was a little frustrating. There were certain points in which I felt how well I was doing in the game was slightly being dictated by what stocks were available. A little bit, where I was stuck with a bad choice. You either go there, well, I can have one of these three greens or yellow I don't want. A little bit. But I also like the fact that because you have multiple stocks, you can go, right, I'm going to use the red company to buy this crappy one because I don't care about that. Mm -hmm. So I can then open up the share with another company. So there is a bit of that, which I thought was... Then it's dependent upon who's controlling what company to your left. And there's a bit of player order in it. There's certainly Next to an idiot or someone who's special. Oh, yeah. Gosh, 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 <laughs> gosh, gosh. Anyway, so North American Railways, summing up, Ellie? It was a great game. I really enjoyed it and I would definitely play it again. Yeah, two trains up 
And who knew that trains were a vehicle for revenge? <laughs> <laughs> I did, but only in real life. Okay, <laughs> those are our 10 reviews. We're going to come back after a very quick break and give you our top three so you can have a recommendation for some shorter games you might enjoy. And we are back. We've been waffling on for an hour or so there about these 10 games, but we're going to get down to the nitty gritty and let you know which were the best of the best of the worst of the best. Anyone want to put their hand up to go first? I'll go first. A <laughs> <laughs> lack of hands. Crickets. <laughs> that was not no. a cricket. <laughs> I don't know what that was either. That. Should we move on? Okay, my right. number three. <laughs> I've gone for Star Cartel. It's just the right level of easy thinking to me. A little bit of keeping an eye on each other. Maybe too much of a chance, but a bit of a chance of dickery to to really turn someone over and show them how much you don't like them. And I just, I quite like the presentation for some reason. So Star Cartel has come in as my number three. I'm going to go with Iwanu. It is a game that for me worked really well, I think, in terms of three player, that's going to be a really nice, quick little fiddler. I think it's complex enough for me to be interesting in terms of my nature, in terms of heavy gamers, but quick enough to be enjoyable. Everything works. Yeah, great. I'm actually, for once, in agreement with my father and my number three. I've gone <laughs> with Star Cartel. <laughs> Sorry. I really did enjoy it. I like the system of having to fill up your ship before you ship it off, getting a new one in. Yeah, really enjoyable game. Lovely. My number two is Hero Realms. Just a step up again from Star Realms. Lots of fun, lots of ways to play. Those character packs, despite my initial hesitation, really made a difference. Gave you a, a little feeling of uniqueing, a little push in a direction you might want to go in. I also feel like the different suits combo better than in Star Realms. So you don't have to go down just one or two suits and then feel like it's useless to buy a card off suit. If there's a red card that you might be collecting yellow and blue, but that will help with your champions, it's worth getting and missing out on the ally bonuses. So I think it made it a bit free and you have fewer duff choices when you're buying. So my number two is Hero Realms. And I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to agree with you. Oh, it sounds like <laughs> I'm just... I've, I've got you all here. This is perfect. I thought it was better than Star Realms. I thought it gave you a really good set of choices in terms of how to play. The cards, as you say, are just that little bit of time it's had to, to be finely tuned. Uh, yeah, great game. My number two was actually Valerian. I liked it for a mass-produced game. Um, I thought the system with the tracking beacons, as I've said before, was very good, kept you moving. I always felt like I was doing something or planning something else or trying to get a monster off my back. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Lovely. And now I'm looking at the notes, so this is definitely where I split. My number one is Wano. Korea's <laughs> number three. Oh, and he's putting faces at me. I think it's got a lot of what I like in Euro or Thinkier games in a very tight package. Planning ahead, mitigation, responding to what other players have done and rolling with the blows a bit while sticking to a strategy. And that's why Wanu is my number one. My number one is North American Railways. As you probably told, could tell from my commentary, it was my favourite game from today. I did really like the share system. Yeah, it just felt very true to history, to be honest. And I always felt like I was interacting with other players, trying to figure out how I was going to buy something off them or what would be the appropriate amount of money to give 
to them, trying to figure out where everyone was in terms of finance and trying to figure out how to ruin everyone else whilst keeping myself rich. Just the way you play life. (laughs) Ruining everyone else. (laughs) And it's actually my number one as well. And to be honest, it's really close with Hero Realms. And I think maybe it's just a novelty for me. I'm not an 18xx gamer. This is something that was very new to me. So I think that's kind of put it over the edge for me. But between the two, great. Really good. I was bouncing around and I'm pretty sure North America, well, it was my number four. And I was kind of jigging around where to put those. I think those were for me were head and shoulders above. But yes, well, thank you very much, Puria. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me again. Eleanor, thank you. I live in this house. You had to, you were told to. (laughs) That's fine. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We'll be back next time with more of something. It's not planned yet. We'll see how available Sean is for gaming. (laughs) But, But something will be coming your way shortly. As ever, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Head to thedicetower.com for all the gaming goodness you could possibly ever wish for. You can catch all of our episodes on Podbean, iTunes and Stitcher. You can head to YouTube where you can catch all of our Pit Stop and Battle Report videos, including stuff from Aircon, UK Games Expo, more and more and more. If you want to get hold of us, head to Board Game Geek to our guild, the Game Pit. You'll find us there. That's one of the best places to have a little chat with other listeners. If you want to email us it's the game pit podcast at gmail.com don't forget to follow us on twitter instagram and facebook and thank you so much for joining us in this episode of the game pit music by e aaron